So what, what is your position at the, the um, Rail City Mission? Right now, it's sitting. <laughs> okay well next question then um you're also a wrestling coach <laughs> sorry sorry uh, no i'm i i am the uh, executive director pastor of royal city mission Hey everybody, welcome back to The Great Indoors. It's Zach and Tina here, episode like 14 or something like that. Something like that, yeah. Something like 14. Feels good to be this deep into making episodes. I have some bad news. Okay, do you have a cookie to lessen the blow? Um, This website does not use cookies, (laughs) so I'm just going to tell you the straight truth. The episode we recorded with Kevin Coghill from the Royal City Mission did not record properly. Hmm. So we tried to call on Zoom yep. and then let Zoom record the audio and then we would import that. Um, I think maybe my computer fell asleep while we were in the conversation. Or it timed out or something. Or it timed out or something, but Zoom was still going at the end. So I think the computer fell asleep and it stopped recording or the audio file we got was not the whole conversation. So um, it kind of sucks because some of the tail end stuff was interesting as well. I think, though, that people will still be able to get the full picture of what the Royal City Mission is doing during COVID. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think... Do you want to fill us in on what got cut off? Are there any highlights? I don't completely remember. Um, I think we just kind of talked more about the inner workings of the Royal City Mission and more of their needs. Mm -hmm. Um, we walked away knowing that th- you can make donations to the Royal City Mission through their website, which we will post in the notes for this episode. Mm-hmm. And we know that they are prepared to continue serving the community as best they can. Yeah, it's fantastic. And it's something that's really needed at this time for people who, you know, they were already food insecure or maybe people who have lost their jobs or working with less money because they're on assistance programs. And I think that's, you know, they've seen a huge increase in the amount of meals that they're distributing. So I saw a post today on Twitter about food waste in America. And this guy had posted two photos side by side. One was a picture of basically a parking lot in Idaho, just, or a field or something with like mountains of potatoes, because all the potatoes that get grown in America, the majority of the places they get eaten are in like stadiums and, like restaurants, places where you get fries. Right. Fries are a huge source of, huge use for for potatoes. And because these places are closed and they're not being patronized, they just can't sell the potatoes. So they're dumping mountains of potatoes in the field. Hmm. And so the reporter went and he grabbed a bag full. And then next to that, he posted a photo of, um, oh, where was it? Not Baltimore. Shoot, I forget. Let me look it up. He he posted a photo of like 10,000 cars in a parking lot of people waiting in line for a food bank. Oh, my goodness. And he said like the juxtaposition of those photos is like we have this food supply chain that we often pretend it. Well, it's made invisible by the way we talk about food and and even grocery stores where you go in and it's just filled with food. Mm -hmm. And it's filled with food byproducts that 
you know, pack processed food. I mean, not food byproducts, processed food mm-hmm. that's packaged and wrapped up and covered in other things like organic materials covered in other things to make crackers, to make potato chips, to make soups, to make all this stuff. And you don't see the farming and the production that goes into all of it. Well, that's where organizations like we have in Leamington, the Southwestern Ontario Gleaners would come in. And I mean, they typically deal with, um, you know, vegetables that come off of the fields or apples that are not fit for, um, grocery stores and they chop those up and get the imperfections and stuff, um, removed and then they make soup mixes. But unfortunately due to this pandemic, they can't be running right now because they, they don't have their volunteer base to prepare that food. But, you know, I wonder if there's a way, if there's going to be food waste that, you know, maybe we can be doing something in Ontario for that. It's a question we'll have to work more on. The place where the food bank lineups were are San Antonio. So mm-hmm. I'm looking at um, Jose Andre's Twitter. He's chef. He's she- at Chef Jose Andre. Mm-hmm. Jose is spelled with a J. Um, That's crazy. But tomatoes usually, or tomatoes, potatoes keep. I know, but if fairly well. But if no one's using them, then yeah. they're. Um, so the Life Center, one thing that, or the, sorry, the Royal City Mission used to be called the Life Center. You'll hear all, all about that. But the Royal City Mission did say, Kevin did say at the end of that one that did get cut off, that restaurants, right when this all happened, restaurants brought a ton of food over because they had lots of food in the in the fridges and in their storage rooms, but now they're not going to sell it. They can't mm-hmm. make it. So they brought it over to them. Mm-hmm. And that was a huge help. But they're they're coming to the tail end of all that mm-hmm. store now, so they don't have the same amount of food coming in. And the one thing that was pretty crazy was they went from like a hundred meals a night, maybe one hundred and twenty to two forty a day, right. and we're even in the three hundred category at the very beginning. Wow! So they're they're serve, they're helping and filling a huge need in the city of Guelph, and this is like one of thousands of organizations across the country that mm-hmm. do this same kind of work. And so whether you're in Guelph or whether you're somewhere else, you can find a place that is feeding the most vulnerable people in your community and support them somehow mm-hmm. right now. And even if, you know, everybody who listened to this could give $10, I mean, some places are going to get $10. Yeah. <laughs> we don't have a huge listenership, but seriously, if you think about the the small part that one person does, but the huge effort that a lot of people can complete. For sure. And a small donation, you know, might feel insignificant to one person, but if a lot of people did that, you know, we're not spending money on gas right now, really. Like a tank has lasted us already probably three weeks or so. Like, and we, yeah. So there's like, you know, for us a little bit, of money left over at the end of the month. And I know that it's not the same for everyone, but yeah, I've heard that people are, I've heard kind of two ends of the spectrum and not really a lot in the middle. Like a lot of people are saving money right now. Mm-hmm. And because of the, because they're not going out, they're not going shopping. They're not driving a lot. They're not going to restaurants, but then there's other people who maybe are ineligible for these SERP benefits or yeah. we're already sort of struggling financially and this has just exasperated it, and they are at... They're accessing food banks, and, yeah, they need to... 
they're they're in a different situation. They're yeah. in the San Antonio food bank lineup, and yeah. I imagine it's a scary place to be. So in today's episode, we're going to talk to Kevin Coghill from the Royal City Mission, and as much as this sort of feels like a sad topic, it sort of feels like it's sad that there's folks who need uh, a service like this. There's also a lot of hope here because the the Royal City Mission is a place where a lot of volunteers work together to serve a lot of folks who need it. And I think if there's any hope right now, it's that in working together and in in banding together, in carrying one another's burdens at this time, even when it's strange and awkward to do so because of social distancing and because you can't connect with people in the same way, there's still hope knowing that people are willing to care for one another even when all of our lives are sort of strange and upside down and the answers are unknown right now. Mm -hmm. So it's sad, but at the same time, it's hopeful. And we hope that's something that you can take away from this. Thanks for listening. Here's our conversation with Kevin Coghill, the executive director and pastor at Royal City Mission. I think he turned it off for you because you were able to get in without, or like I was able to get in. Okay. Oh, there's all oh, my words. Manage- Hello. Hey. What is wrong with your Zoom thing, man? <laughs> what are you talking about? How many passwords do you have to have to get in? <laughs> That's crazy. Oh yeah, it's ridiculous, eh? You know what? I didn't. I don't know. I've never had that before. Like there was like oh. a code and then an individual code and then a password code. <laughs> yeah, probably yeah. This I isn't. This I think is it's probably because this isn't the free. It's not the free one. Yeah, but I've been using the non-free ones, and you just click on you just click on the link. <laughs> yeah, but now we're on the phone, man. Now it's different. We, we can't have just random why. people dialing numbers. Oh yeah, gotta be really yeah. secure. Right, right. Yeah, Possibly. interlopers, bro. What's going on? Oh man, I have you heard? Today. What's that? Have you heard? Heard what? There's a freaking pandemic. No, seriously? Yeah, man, don't go outside. <laughs> you kidding me? I've been working more than normal. I'm at the church. Stop touching people. Ever. Stop touching them. No. Don't touch anybody. Man, oh. man. So you hit a wall today? What were you talking about? I just, no, I just sat down like about an hour ago and I went, holy crap, I am tired. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, man. So, um, well, that's why we're calling, actually. That's why we want to talk to you, because you are, you would be in a frontline position in all this, right? Yep. So, um, what's it look like? I mean, so what we're, what we've basically been doing on, on our little thing here is, um, the great indoors is just chatting with people about their COVID experience. And you have a unique one in that you, um, you can tell us a bit about your work with the Royal city mission, what it is exactly. And, um, you know, how it's changed since the new measures, uh, have kind of come down to the provinces shut down and, um, you know, but people still got to eat people who are vulnerable, still need, uh, still need resources. And you're one of the people bringing it to them. Yeah. Uh, Huh. So what do you want me to tell you? 
<laughs> the truth, man. The truth. Um, yeah, like what's what's it been like at the? Well, what is the Royal City Mission? So just break that All down right. for us real quick. Right. So uh, Royal City Mission is a church in downtown Guelph that focuses on three things: relationship, justice, and beauty. And uh, one of the ways that we live that out is we serve daily meals at the at the church, and um, so that looks usually like eighty to a hundred meals a day. And uh, that's Monday to Saturday. So it, it includes around the meals, like community time. So people come in and play games, lots of crib, lots of euchre, sometimes ping pong, crokinole. And so it looks like a community center, uh, but yeah. focused sort of around the meals. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And so like 100 meals a day roughly is what you were used to bringing out of there, sending out? or Yeah. So 80 to 100 is our norm. So 100 is a high day. Well, every once in a while, we'll sneak into the 120s, but it's usually like 100 is fairly busy, 80 is like pretty quiet. So anywhere between 80 and 100 is the norm. And so since the changes, since uh, COVID, the pandemic, uh, we were seeing, we're actually serving 240 meals a day. How many? That's crazy. 240? We were serving over 300 for the first two weeks. <laughs> Whoa. But, uh, that's, yeah, that's in, that's in partnership with the drop-in centers. So we have immediately, when, um, when everything hit the fan, we, we knew that things had to change quickly. So uh, because we had already partnered with other organizations, the first one we thought about was the drop-in. And they, they do the housing for most of the most vulnerable in Guelph. So we immediately called them and made a plan to close Royal City Church so that volunteers could still come, or the Royal City Mission, so that people could still come and cook here, so that we had separation between our vulnerable volunteers and people who were struggling with food insecurities and homelessness. Okay. So we shut down everything at Royal City Mission other than meal preparation. So we became the hub of food, all food deliveries, all volunteer, all uh, preparation and packaging of food. And then we began, so then we would... We would deliver and staff at the drop-in at a regular hour. So uh, our staff would go down to the drop-in from three to nine, supervise and uh, do the meal programs, d- deliver food out to the temporary shelters, which are now at hotels instead of the shelters. And that was to help isolate people, right? So you didn't have five people in a room. You now have one person in a room. Okay. So um, I'm going to pretend like, like, I mean, I'm very familiar with, uh, I was very familiar with like the Life Center and the Royal City Mission. So I'm going to yeah. pretend a little bit like I don't know what it is just for the sake of people listening who um, need some need some background. So you're in Guelph, you're downtown Guelph. Yes. And and the majority of people who are coming and maybe all the people who are coming have some sort of struggle with food security, uh, addiction, mental health, homelessness are all things that you see on a regular basis. That's correct. And so, so people- like... Okay, go ahead, go ahead. People that, like, a lot of people, their struggle is social, could be mental illness, uh, but it's not all what what people think. Like, it's not just homelessness, right? Like, there are just people who, they eat alone, they don't want to eat alone, and and that's a real, a mental health thing too, right? Just to clarify. Yeah, thank you, thank you. Um, Wow, Okay. How, how does so, it work for? Yeah. I have a question. How does it? How has it worked for serving 240 meals when you need to? Like, how are you spacing people out? 
<laughs> so we, basically, basically, we have two shifts in the kitchen. We have a shift from uh, basically eight o'clock till eleven o'clock, and that that gets the first meal done. So we, we're serving a meal at eleven a.m. now, and a meal at six p.m. So the first the first shift we have each room has been sectioned off, and I I basically set a plan to public health to say this is how we're this is how we're functioning. So uh, and they approved it so that we could continue to work. Um, so we have each room allows four people to work in it with a maximum of twelve people in the building. Uh, so the kitchen has four people with masks. They're preparing the food. The, there's a second room that's quite large that we have food being delivered and sorted and uh, prepared to go along with the meal. So bread, we're getting tons of bread, tons of baked goods, things like that. They're being separated and, and portioned so that they can just go in with a meal. Okay. Then we haven't, uh, so at each meal time, there's food preppers. And then we have three or four staff now, because we've switched gears again, who come to the building and then serve meals out the front of the building. So okay. at, the front of the, at the front of the building, people can come now at 11 and 6 and pick up a to-go meal. Okay. At, so, and then you're just trusting that people will keep that distance from one another. Just come get your oh, food and get out of the way. Kind of. So we've set up like social distancing markers on the sidewalk. We have uh, tables blocking off the entranceway so that only staff can access the building. Uh, we have today, we have a, a tent over top of that so that people aren't getting wet while they're serving food. Um, so it's set up actually quite safe. It, we've even set it up that there's there's always a distance between uh, staff and volunteers and the community, which actually I hate, but we have to do that to be able to serve. Um, and we always why do you hate that? I, the whole point is is community and connection, and this feels like we're not connected. It it actually to people who are pushed away, it, I think it feels more like being pushed away. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's the world right now, man. Everybody's. Danger, everybody's suspect. It it is it's the world right now, but the reality is we don't we don't remember that this is the world for some people, like all the time that they are isolated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And wow. what I see is people judging them for not understanding or not following through social distancing, and yet they live in social distancing and social isolation. All right, so here we are in the in the in the editing room and. Uh, this part here is where the Zoom call cut out, but um, what, would, what, would, what were we asking Kevin about here? I think this is the part where we were asking him what the community response was or has been to people standing outside and picking up meals and how that process has been going. Okay, okay. I'll get back to the call. For the most part, it's been fine. There's been some funny looks from people as they pass by, but we haven't had any complaints from like any kind of organization, we've only had great response from other organizations like public health and uh, the city, the township. So, yeah. Uh, but I think people are just confused, right? When they walk by, everything should be closed, everything, you know. So I'm not sure that they all know what's happening. Right. And so that's good. That's good to hear, though, that the city is, uh, the city is cool with it. Yeah. And like, so being a, a huge volunteer space as well, like I, you said, there's only four volunteers at a time in the building making food, but, um, you know, people are still able to bring, bring prepared food in from home. Is that happening? 
So you can't, let's not advertise that. (laughs) (laughs) We kind of know, like we are, we are accepting food from lots of different places that we probably wouldn't normally, but we are keeping track where it comes from and who's prepared it um, and throwing out questionable items, of course, which we always do anyway. Like we're up on those food safety things. Yeah. But that response has been amazing. Like, you know, I was, I was standing out front today, setting up the, the tent and the ladies came by said, I have made cupcakes and I dropped them off. So like 50 cupcakes in a beautiful, like really beautifully made for people. And she said, I want to do this regularly. So people are like coming and just dropping food off. And the, the nice wow. thing is that we've set it up so that people can feel good about dropping off without contacting a large group of people. They can come yeah. to the back door. That's where all our food deliveries come. Uh, and then the front is where service is happening. Wow. So, like, tell us a bit about the story um, about Rail City Mission. So, it's been active for years, right? This isn't a new thing. You have, you've Obviously, you're well-established. Like, um, yeah. give us a brief rundown there. Well, uh, Royal City Mission is sort of an amalgamation of two two things that used to happen. Uh, a meal program happened at this location, it w- which used to be United Church. For it's it's been running about thirty years. Uh, it, it was called Saturday Night Suppers, and then a, another group had started a storefront coffee drop-in shop kind of thing called Nightlight. And when uh, Royal City Church bought this building, they amalgamated those two things and made Royal City Christian Life Center. Which, um, we have now switched the name to Royal City Mission. Okay, here's the second time the call was dropped, and I think Kevin had just, he's just finished telling us about how the Royal City Mission came to be, and uh, he's talking about how the partnership has been going between RCM and other community organizations. So we're going to keep listening. It's just been amazing because the uh, the relationship with other organizations has developed really well so that when we do things like this, there isn't suspect. Like people are willing to partner, willing to, to join, willing to, to share, willing to, you know, do whatever they can to make sure people are still getting food this way. Instead of, yeah. instead of you know, uh, attention around, oh, I don't want to give food to that place or whatever. And so how are, um, like, this community of people who would depend on meals there, where there's already these struggles, as you say, of being pushed away or maybe being marginalized is another word we use for that. Um, how, what are, how are the challenges, like, exasperated in this time where, for a lot of people, life has become challenging? Like, for people who maybe live in insecure housing, like you were saying that the, they've opened some hotels. So is that is it working? Like is, is the, is the things that they've rolled out for the vulnerable population, is it working in your opinion? At some levels it is Uh, like people who are homeless, there's an opportunity. Not everyone, not everyone is housed out there just because some people are not, they, they don't do well in that situation. Mm -hmm. Uh, Partly because they're past, partly because of how they've chosen to live, but they just can't function in that setting. So they're, they're outside, they're staying outside. And so what we see in that problem is right now, any public space is closed down. You can't go in and access water or bathrooms. Yeah, that's right. That's a big, yeah. Okay. 
So I'm going to tell you, people are going to die from not drinking water faster than they are from COVID. Seriously? Well, how long can you not drink water? Two what, days. Like three days? <laughs> yeah, whatever it is, right? Three days. Yeah. So th- th- there is some, like, there's some serious problems with not having anything available to people who are who are super pushed away. And I'm just using that term because I feel like marginalized is like, feels like they put themselves there, but I think often we push people away and that's why they're in the places they are. But um, so there's, there's that gap. That's a problem that we're trying to address right now. We've been handing out water at our meals, even though we hate water bottles um, because we just recognize there's no place to, to get water. There's no place to go to the bathroom. So our gardens are being well fertilized. And uh, that, you know, could you did you set up like curtains and that like little divider <laughs> curtains in the garden for privacy? <laughs> not a not a bad idea. Yeah, not a bad idea. Um, yeah. So so some of the other things that are that we're seeing is so immediately in all of this uh, support programs stopped. So you think about people who are struggling with an addiction. What is the, one of the main things that you do with them, right? Is you get them and you get them in support groups and you get them to help talk. Now they just shut them all down and they say, well, we're running them virtually. And everyone's like, oh yeah, well, virtual, virtual. And then you realize, oh yeah, but some people don't have access to Wi-Fi. They can't afford Wi-Fi. Uh, yeah. And all the, pub- all the public spaces where Wi-Fi were allowed, that's not available to them. Yeah, libraries, yeah. McDonald's, Tim Hortons, Starbucks, it's all gone. Exactly. And so, like, I, I have found that the, the one thing that I've, I've been most grieved about in all of this is, again, the big divide between the rich and the poor. Because I hear people all saying, oh, just stay home with your family and enjoy your family. Well, what about when you don't have family? What about when you're just stuck at home by yourself and you struggle with, like, serious thoughts of harming yourself and wanting to use and all of those things, right? Like, yeah, it, it's a very different thing for someone who is alone without support. Does Royal City Mission have, um, have, have they, have you, have any of your volunteers or staff made connections with people to, that they're able to call them and check in or reach out? Or is it just kind of that short interaction when people are picking up food to kind of see how people are doing? There, it's been made available. So some people are accessing that they can call us, um, usually we don't turn our phones off. I, I don't shut my phone off, so I'm, I'm available. Um, so we do, we are getting connection that way too. Um, but it, the, the tendency is that people don't contact each other that way in, in, uh, in this, in this group of people, like in our community, a phone call is not really the way they would interact with someone on and in, in any situation. Yeah. 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 It'd be like Facebook messenger or something. Something like, yeah. And that is happening. Like I'm getting lots of those like, Hey, I'm, I'm struggling. I need this or this is happening. And, and then we have like advocates sort of like allies that, that are part of that community that are trying to help others who will, you know, contact us and say, you know, this person, there's no place to buy clothes and their daughter just had to move back in because there's no place for her to live. There's no clothing open in Guelph. Any, how can you get us that? So we just respond and get it. We, we figure out ways to do that. Whoa. So, yeah, as you're saying, like people are calling with, with these needs for 
just things that I mean, like I got a closet full of clothing, you know, and there's a lot of stuff that I take for granted that I don't know what I need in an emergency because I generally think of that. I've already, I have it all. Like, right. I mean, how, how does this work? I, I don't understand. I don't understand how people can, uh, as you said, like, stay home with your family and enjoy your family. Well, holy, like I have a home to stay in and I am comfortable here. And it's not, it's not like I'm, uh, I'm with people I don't trust or I'm, I'm unsure about. And right. Uh, and, these, and then folks who, as you say, are liable to maybe use again, maybe they're trying to stop using. And now they've got all these stressors in their life that probably exasperate addiction. Of course. Of course. Yeah. Well, well, we see yeah. that in regular, like think about the conversations you've had with other people, right? What are they doing? They're eating more, they're drinking more <laughs> because people yeah. are bored, right? Like, that's, that's someone that's not necessarily struggling with an addiction. That's just someone who's ult- ultimately bored and trying to find some relief from boredom. Yeah. So you add an addiction to that and you can imagine. So one of, one of our staff said, in the first, I think it was the first two weeks, they've been on staff here for three years. They said, uh, this is two weeks in and I've had more conversations about suicide than I did the entire three years I've been here. Whoa. Yeah. And is that like, I heard only through like secondhand that there's been quite an increase in suicides, but is that something that you're observing? Like, I mean, the ideation is one thing, but are you seeing people act on that or like, we, we, we haven't seen that. Um, we haven't, we've just had conversations about the, 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 uh, the idea. So, and so where do you direct people when that comes up? Like, how do you, how do you advise them? We, we usually there, just stay with, we usually just stay yeah. with them in whatever way is possible. So if that's a phone call, we stay with them. Um, like you can't really direct them anywhere right now. Yeah. Even like phone lines and stuff. Yeah, so there are some some phone lines, and that's been a big focus. Uh, I, I'm just going to say it. I don't think phone lines are the answer to people that need community. To be frank. Yeah, I mean. I've had more people call me after calling certain hotlines than said, I feel more like killing myself now than I did before. Um, so... So, and, and I'm not, I, I know that they're all good things. I'm just saying, so for people, we try to care for the people that we actually have community with. And um, we found that to be very helpful in whatever way that looks like, even though it may not be the best solution to have a phone call or to go and talk across the sidewalk or, you know, whatever, whatever. Um, phone calls, I don't think are a solution to many of those kinds of issues. Right. And so, like, how are you feeling through all of this? Are you, how's your headspace? You know, I, I'm actually very thankful that I'm frontline. I, uh, Why is I, that? I did, well, I didn't, I didn't come to this job to be in a place where, like, oh, things are rough. I'm going to close down. Like, that's yeah. actually complete opposite of why I would do, the, do this in the first place. Like, to be honest, this is just like any other crisis we face on a regular basis. It's, 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 you know, it's got some differences to it, but the reality is we're responding to human need on a regular basis. And most of that looks like sharing time, sharing space. And so th- the only issue is that I just miss people. 
Like I, yeah. I genuinely miss sitting and having a meal, uh, playing a game of crib with a couple of guys that I play with crib with three days a week, you know, playing a game of ping pong with someone that I've known for the whole time I've been, you know, just those things that are like, that's why I'm here. I'm not here to just hand out a meal. Yeah. So there is a struggle in that. I, we give out the meal because we know that's helpful and at least we have some contact, but we're not about that. Like just delivering a meal to someone. That's, um, that's the one thing we've noticed our, our work. We don't need nearly the amount of volunteers when you're not actually engaging people. You just, Mm -hmm. it's quick, right? Like one person sometimes does the two, the 120 meals for the supper packages it all up and another person hands it out. Like it's two people's job instead of, And there are eight, 12 people on a night that we had to, to care for the needs and, and spend time with people. And so it is, it's different in that way, for sure. I mean, I can really uh, empathize with that. Just missing sitting with people. Yeah. Missing being in a room and not having to like, read through the phone, how people are going to respond or wait on zoom to see if anybody's (laughs) going to talk. Like (laughs) we're having to learn how to do interaction in this totally bizarre way. Um, and it's, it really, I think a lot of people are maybe stir crazy is a good, good term to throw out here, but it's happening. Yep. I guess, I guess, for, for me, the other the other piece of what I was talking about earlier is we forget when we have privilege, we forget so much of what it's like, right? Like there is lots of talk about people, you know, stay out of the parks. Well, that's a really rich man thing to say, isn't it? When you have a backyard to go and play in with your kids. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like apartment buildings, they can't play in the green space. Well, but if you have money, you've got green space. You've got a space space to be, and all of those things just I, I understand they're necessary, but we forget that other people don't have that privilege. Yeah, so like what is the what do you think about I mean this is the, the crazy thing is that the I was just talking with a with a guy yesterday about how there's all kinds of policy that could have been put in place long ago to help the help the pushed away, right? I was going to say marginalized, but mm-hmm. poor people, mentally ill people, homeless people, addicted people, people with these challenges in their life. There's all kinds of things that we could have been doing all along to help. And so the feeling is like now when all these, when all the other people need help, when all the people with jobs need support with all the, when all the people who own houses and own businesses and who aren't the typical person who's going to come into the, the, the Royal city mission, and there's just this feeling of like, we're not, these people aren't going to get the help they need right now. This, these are like, they're still forgotten. They're still left, uh, you know, without, and like, you know, are you, are you getting a sense of that? Or do you feel like the, the people in power, people making decisions about budgets and stuff, do they have these folks in mind at all? Cause as you said, like with the backyard, like, you know, this, our privilege blinds us to the needs of, of others. So you know, I, I how are you seeing that? Well, I wouldn't say that our policymakers are blind to it. I, but again, you you look through the the eyes of your privilege, right? And so, mm. at some some level, there is there is some blindness there. Uh, I, from the start, have seen like just a bigger divide between the rich and the poor. People, you know, 
again, just attitudes towards people. Um, how come all of a sudden there's lots of funding for people that are don't, don't have a job now? Yeah, Why was, that's crazy. How, how, how come there wasn't a proper living wage six months ago, a year ago, 10 years ago? Now all of a sudden there's money for students who aren't working, who are volunteering? Weird. That's weird because we, you know. People we have been asking for it. it. Yeah, yeah. And, so, and have yeah. needed it. That's right. They have needed it. Like I think about someone living on minimum wage, trying to live in like I don't even know how people do it. Yeah. And, and many, many in our community, that's that's about the job they're going to get, right? If they get a job, is a minimum wage job. So survival is tough. That that's that's not like that's just trying to make it through. And on minimum wage, I think you still need food banks and. Uh, other things, if you have any, you know, if you're living anywhere that's not a bedroom. Yeah. So, so I don't think, I honestly don't think that anybody is that like, we're just going to, well, may, that might not be true. I don't think that people are trying to take away from the poor, but they do get left behind for sure. Yeah. And that's more what I mean. Like, I don't think it's an active effort necessarily, but I do think there is just like an, they're an afterthought. Yeah. Well, you know, and when there's enough for them, then we'll go help them. But right now we need to help the not us. Yeah. Yep. For sure. Instead of leveling the playing field for everyone sooner, they're just trying to stop the economy from collapsing. Correct. I kind of hope it does collapse. I mean, that's (laughs) that's the reality, right? Like we need a shakeup. Need a shakeup. Yeah, we do. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe they'll realize that this, you know, the CERB is kind of like an experiment in universal basic income. Right. But there, but there are people who can't access it. Right. So I'm sure if you're on ODSP or other government assistance, you probably can't get CERB. No, no. But I went like, are they topping up their ODSP to give them, more money to make it through this time. Do you know anything um, about that? I've not heard that, but I also haven't done a lot of looking into it. Yeah, me neither. I would be surprised though. So yeah, on serve, right? You get $2,000 a month. Mm-hmm. And you know, I, that's not a lot of money, but on ODSP, you get $1,100 a month and that's your yeah, exactly for, for life. <laughs> like that's what you get. Damn, that's crazy. It is crazy. That's nothing. No. Twelve twelve hundred dollars. Yep. It's it's eleven something, and and then if you get special things on top of that, you can get a few more things, but there you have to apply to get them. The basic is I forget what it is. It's eleven something or just under twelve. So how much does a room cost in Guelph? Uh, average average apartment or, or low-end apartment is 800 I was just looking for rooms for someone. You can't find anything for just a room. No, you know, not anything separate. A room in a place is uh, about 600 is the, the lowest you're going to find it. Wow. Wow. <sighs> <laughs> yeah. I'm just pissed off at the moment. <laughs> 
Yeah. Like anything new in Guelph, even single bedroom apartments are like $1,400. Yeah. And that's just been going up and up and up the last few years. Right. And that's, and I, I get the impression that's like, that's basically Ontario and that's Canada yeah. right now. Yeah, it is. It's everywhere. It doesn't make any sense. I don't understand how it works. Like what, because somebody down the street charged 1200. Now this guy charges 1200 and it's just, well, well, if you got 12, I can get 13 and it just grows like that. Yeah. It's not like there's added value or there's even added cost. Like even old apartments that you're still paying the same mortgage. You can boost yeah, the price well, now. But that's part of it, right? We are conditioned to try to charge as much as we can and try to get as much money as we can out of things. That's capitalism. That's part of the, the tenant of capitalism is charge as much as you can for the product. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How's the rest, the other part of the Royal City Mission community to kind of like the, the church and the things that happen there on a weekly basis as well? How has that adjustment gone? So that's been kind of interesting because we've been uh, like, we just do an online quick, we do about a 20 minute um, service, which is, it's not really a service. It's a Facebook live where we give an update talk about the needs of what's happening and then a, a probably a 15, maybe 20 minute talk on, on a, a scripture that we've chosen. And uh, it's actually been going really well. We have about as many people attending that as we do our regular services. That's awesome. Which we weren't sure about, right? Because yeah. it's, it's new, it's different. There are some older people that just won't get online, um, but we're noticing there's a lot of people just coming to check us out as well that, probably wouldn't have come in the door, uh, but now mm-hmm. they're checking uh-huh. us out online. So yeah, that's, it's kind of interesting. That's cool. It has, yeah. And 20, yeah. 20 minutes is really easy too. It's like, I can sit through yeah. something for 20 minutes. We, we talked, our, our board was really, it, it was really good with this. We talked about doing a full service and we just said, no, we're not doing a full service. Like we're already working all week to try to make sure these meals and things are happening and so our board actually said, no, we don't want you spending that much time trying to prepare this thing online. Mm-hmm. Do a quick thing if you're going to do something. And they actually said we didn't have to do anything. Mm-hmm. But we, we chose to do something short so that we have connection. But uh, it, it's been good. Like we, we've been doing other little things to try to keep connected, like a Wednesday update, uh, a Wednesday meditation. We've been doing a, a Friday um, update on the building, so a, a video walkthrough. And then uh, we just started a page for Royal City members to share beauty. Since it's one of our values, we, we set up a place with. Unfortunately, that is the end of the recording. Mm-hmm. So that's about 40 minutes or something like 35 minutes. And so I'm wondering if that's where the computer just fell asleep because yeah. nobody was using it or anything. So that's really unfortunate we do apologize to kevin we apologize to the rust city mission because uh, there's some good stuff on there so yeah. we'll never get that back that moment is just gone yeah but he was talking about they've created a facebook page for people to share what beauty is looking for looking like for them right now um different art projects or things that they're observing around them some of the other things that we did talk about near the end of the interview were um, pastoral ministry in new communities and pastoral ministry where change is a big part of the work and how to help lead people through change in a good way. 
and we talked about actually the increased volume of sex trafficking that's happening, especially in vulnerable communities like the one Kevin is a frontline worker in, and how it is bolstering the pornography industry, mm-hmm. how women are being trafficked into pornography, and these are being increased as COVID continues. So just the human cost and some of the more tragic elements of what's going on in this pandemic. Yeah, it's a really good reminder to be thinking about these types of things that usually I, you know, they're on the peripherals of what I'm thinking about. And um, it's important to have these conversations and to think about these things and think about what we can be doing to support those that are working to make a difference in these areas and um, you know how can we make the bigger picture a little bit brighter yeah there's a sense of helplessness in all this because frontline work is important work right now and where a lot of us don't have work to go to our regular jobs you'd think the opportunity would be there to volunteer or something, but it's not as easy um, as it used to be to, to go and volunteer. Like even the Life Center, gosh, I said it again. Royal City Mission. The Royal City Mission. Even the Royal City Mission has really pared down how many volunteers are there. Um, I've been speaking with a pastor in Leamington, and on Monday of next week I'll be just packing takeout containers for people who go to that church for a meal. But even that effort has been really scaled back. So that was something that they started a few months ago, was starting serving meals on Monday. But they, the classic thing of a church volunteers to go in helps to serve the meals. Everybody's sitting down. There's a sense of community. There's a sense of getting to know people and, and having relationships with people and not just handing them a takeout container. And again, this is something where I called the pastor and he said, you know, it's... You can come if you want. It's pretty slow. It's pretty quiet, but, you know, come and come and do it. So I'm going to go, but um, it's hard. Like there's there's it's like there's not enough for everybody to do because we have to do it in these like isolated ways and we have to be distant and we have to be safe. But at the same time, there's so much that needs done. Yeah. And I think a lot of organizations, it's it's really just boiling down to financial support to absolutely yeah you know people can't physically be there to volunteer but they do still have ongoing needs and programs that are important that people rely on and again we'll just yeah and if you can give a little bit to an organization that you care about or one that you um think could really use a little bit of support at this time um join us in doing that thanks again for listening and sorry about all of the technical difficulties so sorry